You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I the Lord your God am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, we serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. In our last episode, episode 44, we began uh, our study of the epistle of James. We um, began, and that entire episode is an introduction to James, uh, who this James is, why it's important, uh, the dating of this epistle, the location of the epistle. Uh, We introduced some of the uh, snags with regard to this epistle, and... uh, Some that would claim that James has a separate theology or a distinct theology from the Apostle Paul, and we'll have uh, lots of opportunity to continue that uh, introduction in that part. We're going to begin with the text of James today in episode 45. Uh, Pastor, any any comments, uh, overarching comments before we uh, dig into this portion of God's Word? I, I think, uh, like we said last time, uh, we laid a good foundation for this. We, we can't pit James's words against Paul's words. The two of them got along. They knew what each other said. They agreed with one another. And uh, in that sense, uh, we, we have a uniform voice from Christianity. And in that sense, then also, we need to uh, figure out how both are true at the same time. And, the, and they are. And uh, it's very clear how as we study it. It's, uh, it's interesting that as you read Paul's epistles, and there are many of them, as you read Paul's epistles, almost all of them at the end of the epistle, the last chapter, the last few chapters of the epistle, sound an awful lot in content like the book of James because they are addressing holy living, addressing how to apply this gospel in real-life situations, in trials and temptations and sufferings and uh, habitual sins and those kind of things. Uh, am, am Am I dreaming when I see that kind of a connection? No, I don't think so. And I think that that part we oftentimes overlook as Lutherans, you know, and I'm not speaking for all of us, but uh, I think there's a group of Lutherans out there uh, who lean towards that antinomian side who would say, you're saved by grace through faith, and so the things that you do 
don't actually matter. Well, that's um, uh, that's just simply not true. The same with uh, uh, you know your relationship with your parents. Because they love you and forgive you doesn't mean that you can light fires in the living room or uh, you know break windows or things like that. You still, out of love and respect for your parents, um, seek to do what they desire for you uh, to the best of your ability. Whenever you bring up little examples like that, I can't help but think of the three Moline boys uh, terrorizing uh, Bob and Deb in their house and in the living room. Uh, I can never tell what's... Uh, what's autobiographical with you and uh, what is not. So we'll just leave it at that. That sounds like a good plan. (laughs) Okay, so James chapter 1, and uh, as we have done in our uh, previous studies, we don't plan to take huge sections of uh, James and then... uh, kind of give a flyby. The uh, the design with this particular study is we want to go verse by verse, word by word, uh, thought by thought, and uh, consult the Greek uh, as uh, as is needed to uh, bring out a little, little extra flavor and instruction. And so I'll get us started. Now, I'm reading out of the ESV, that's the English Standard Version, that is uh, the version that you would hear in most Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod churches, not all. Uh, we, we have much freedom in this area, but uh, many churches have uh, voluntarily agreed to use the same translation, and that's the ESV, what we use here at Good Shepherd. If you uh, open up your Bible, many times there are headings, headings uh, before a chapter, uh, two or three headings in different sections inside of a chapter. These headings are done by the uh, people who put the translation together. They are not a part of the inspired, inerrant Word of God. They are um, oftentimes helpful. Uh, Every once in a while, they are... um, um, Maybe a bit misleading. Unhelpful. Yeah, unhelpful. Thank, <laughs> thank you. That's the word I was looking for. But uh, here uh, in my ESV Bible, it says greeting. And so we want to look at the greeting from James, James 1, verse 1. And it reads as follows. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Okay, Um, we know that uh, I think it's fairly common in epistles, in letters of this time, to have some sort of a greeting at the beginning. This is more, uh, this historical element, this is kind of uh, more in your wheelhouse, Pastor. Um, Is there anything odd or unusual to begin uh, an epistle with a greeting like this? No, in fact, it is the format of writing a letter in that day. You put the name of the person who is sending the letter, and you put the uh, people that he is sending it to towards the beginning as the re- well. The both recipient, them, intended and, recipient. And, of course, this helps get it delivered to where it needs to go, right? Uh, it's from this person going to that person, and uh, that kind of tells you without having to look at the beginning and the end of the letter uh, where it's headed. And so this is perfectly within the format of, typical letters of that time frame uh, and matches typical letters uh, contained elsewhere in the New Testament. Okay, we uh, in our previous episode, we spent a lot of time talking about which 
James we we are referring to here? Which James is the author of this letter? Can you give us a, a brief summary of uh, what we concluded with regard to the authorship of this letter, who this James actually is? Yeah, um, <clears throat> last week we spent most of our time on this, and we decided that this is James, the brother of Jesus, that is writing this uh, particular epistle. Uh, we know it's not James, the brother of John, who had already been um, martyred by this time. Um, and this is then the brother of Jesus, who is then the bishop of Jerusalem, or the uh, the the chief pastor there. He's serving the congregation there, and uh, he is very important. He goes from unbeliever to believer, uh, all upon seeing the resurrection of his uh, brother Jesus Christ. And so James is widely known. Uh, simply saying, uh, this is from James, needs no further introduction. He does not need to say, uh, James, the head of the church in Jerusalem, uh, the holy pontiff, uh, the one whom you must uh, bow in reverence and submission to. Uh, people knew this James, and uh, the, the church in Jerusalem is quite literally, the mother church. And so there's no need for any extra hoopla. Right, and um, while that's absolutely the truth, that uh, he is widely known and is, in a sense, um, as we see from like the book of Acts, the the leader of the church, the, I don't want to use the word, but I'm going to, the pontiff of the time, um, he... uh, he doesn't identify himself that way at all, but rather, I think it's really key, the words that he does use to identify himself, uh, which is what we're headed towards right Ab- now. Absolutely, and, I, and that's, uh, that's the point I wanted to make. Uh, James is a big wheel. He is a big wheel in the church, and it is striking that um, he does not appeal to that in any way, shape, or form. He appeals to something quite different. He says, a servant of God, and let's just uh, park the car at that word servant, because in uh, many translations, there will be a footnote by the word servant. And uh, the footnote by the word servant, not only here in James 1 verse 1, but throughout the pages of the New Testament, uh, I, I think it's probably um, a cultural thing. We hesitate to use the word slave, and yet that's the word that's here. Um, the ESV does this all the time. I believe the NIV did this as well. Not so much in the King James and the New King James Version, but... Uh, The footnote is important. James, this big wheel, this uh, head of the church in Jerusalem, the one who's in charge of the uh, first church council recorded for us in, in Acts 15, refers to himself as a slave. What in the world is going on here, Pastor? Yeah, um, he sees himself as a slave. In other words, he's always doing whatever God demands that he does. 
And we, we see this really throughout the pages of Scripture uh, all the time, even in the Old Testament. Many of these characters uh, that we're reading about, the historic characters, I should say, um, they are slaves of God. They do what God says. Abraham leaves his home. Abraham wanders around. Uh, Joseph uh, leads, uh, brings his brothers in and, and feeds them. Uh, Moses leads them out of um, uh, bondage. Jay, uh, got my names all mixed up here. Um, we have also then Joshua, there's the name I'm looking for, bringing them into the promised land. They're doing what God demands them to do, and even when it's hard or difficult, uh, they, they do the will of the master. And in that sense, too, then, that's what we ought to see ourselves as, which is going to help set the stage for what is coming in the rest of the book. If we are under the authority of God, then one would expect us to do what God demands in our life and to be a faithful slave or servant in that way. So James, the head of the church in Jerusalem, identifies himself as a slave. Uh, can, I, can I make then the uh, next connection that James is uh, writing this letter, writing this epistle uh, as one slave to another? as he is writing Christian to Christian? I think so, yes. Um, in, in one sense, that's absolutely true. I think then in one other sense, um, there is at least an understanding that um, James is in the office of the holy ministry. He's a pastor, and uh, in that sense, he's like an uber slave um, to not just God, but then also to serve the people who are members of the congregation of Jerusalem uh, by bringing them the word and the sacraments faithfully that they might be saved also. And this maybe sounds all, you know, kind of servile and uh, not, uh, not American in any sense of the word, but in this James and all pastors and then also all Christians are really picking up their cross and following Christ who submitted himself to the will of the Father, which led to his ministry and his ultimate uh, crucifixion and death um, by doing the Father's will. And in that sense, we're all doing what Christ has first done, um, and uh, we can't separate that from this as well. I think that's uh, that's very well said, and uh, I want to I want to build on a couple of the comments that you made. But we're out of time for our first segment. Look at that; we made it all the way through. Uh, let's see, three words in uh, James one verse one. We'll move just a little quicker when we come back from the break. Don't change that dial. Equipping the saints. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're looking at the Epistle of James. Uh, verse 1 of James chapter 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. 
greetings. Uh, we made it through three words, James, a servant, and uh, the, the word in the Greek there is slave. We talked about that in our first segment. Pastor, you made some distinctions right before we went to break, and I want to bring those out. Um, when, when we are saying that James is speaking here as a slave to fellow Christians who are also slaves. We are not uh, removing the office of the holy ministry. That is a, a very, very important aspect that you brought out. But a pastor is a fellow Christian, a fellow slave. And so it is a both and. Um, I know Lutherans like to use the term uh, priesthood of all believers. Uh, I prefer the uh, words from the text, the uh, royal priesthood, or the priesthood of the baptized. Um, but uh, all Christians are a part of that royal priesthood. And then God calls some from that royal priesthood into the office of the holy ministry. Because you're in the office of the holy ministry does not mean you have a, a special status as Christian. Christians are Christians. And so in that respect, this pastor, uh, the head of the church, we could say bishop if we wanted to, uh, this pastor is also a fellow slave talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that a fair representation? Yes, and, and I would say even um, you, you brought up the priesthood of all believers, right? What that means, a, a priest is one who is um, able then to enter the holy place where where God is. It doesn't mean any more than that. And so the office of the ministry is, uh, you know, definitely able to enter the holy place where God is, but then they're also a servant in that sense to do the work therein. Um, and uh, so, like I said, if anything— being a pastor is being an uber slave, a slave of the slaves, um, but not quite as uber as Jesus, perhaps, who is the chief servant and slave, um, as he himself demonstrates in his actions. That's good. I like that. I like that. You uh, you also mentioned in your uh, comments right before the break that um, we're, a slave is under the authority of someone else. And... Uh, where James goes here is he explains, as a slave, who he is under the authority of. He says, James, a servant slash slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is being very specific about the slavery that he is in, and uh, by extension, the slavery that all Christians are in of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, is this an unusual phrase of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ as we as we look in scripture? And what is he saying uh if he's saying anything about the relationship between God and the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's not strange, uh, and in fact, even uh, something important in the Greek is that uh, uh, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ come before the word slave, indicating that this is the important part of it, right? That God and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, are the important figures in this. So James, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, a slave. Um, 
And it is unusual to have this phrase this particular way. Uh, I think where people might get caught up or go wrong is to say, okay, look, James isn't saying that uh, Jesus is God, and that's absolutely baloney because he calls him Lord. And the word Lord um, oftentimes, especially in the Hebrew mind, stands in for the name of God. And so you have this guy who you indicate is the Lord, um, indicating the tetragrammaton, the, the name of God, um, Jesus, which means the Lord saves, um, and then Christ, which is the title for the one who was appointed by God to come uh, from many, many years ago. And so you have all these great titles for Jesus indicating that he is God. Even his name itself, Jesus, indicates that he's God. And so you have God and of the Lord Jesus Christ indicating God the Father and God the Son both here indicating already James has a Trinitarian view uh, at this very early stage in um, early 50s, late 40s A.D. Uh, thank you for that, Pastor. Uh, very well said. Um, I want to just share with you some, some words from Lenski, uh, R.C.H. Lenski, a famous Lutheran, famous commentator. And uh, in his commentary on James, page 519, uh, he says, as such a slave, James addresses his readers who are his brethren, likewise slaves of these heavenly masters, likewise bowing their wills to these masters in all things. They are to hear what this fellow slave of theirs has to tell them about the obedience that they all owe their masters in heaven and especially also to point out to them where they have been remiss and have followed their own wrong and foolish wish. Um, this word thus fits the ethical and non-doctrinal letter in the closest way. And then he goes on to say, when James combines God and Lord Jesus Christ, when he is calling himself their slave, he points to divine grace, redemption, justification, sanctification, and salvation that have come to him as a slave of God and of Christ and have come equally to his readers as brethren in this slavery. James or, uh, Lenski is uh, trying to say, you know, yeah, this is primarily an ethical uh, letter, primarily non-doctrinal in that respect. But he's also saying by using the term Lord Jesus Christ in connection with God, he is incorporating all of the things that Jesus has done, uh, his redemption for us, salvation in and only in him, justification, sanctification. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's the truth, right? The uh, the saying that gets brought about uh, by Lutheran so often, all theology is Christology, and uh, and that's really the truth here as well. And so when you even use the name Lord Jesus Christ in such a way, it brings all that defines who our Lord Jesus Christ is with it, uh, from his birth, from his incarnation, from his uh, divine nature that has existed uh, always, uh, all the way up into his death and resurrection. 
And this is really important for us because I don't think we understand that very well in our modern day and age when we, um, you know, talk about historical Jesus or we, uh, you know, Jesus is my homeboy or Jesus is a friend of mine or whatever it is that you have. Um, when you use the name Jesus correctly, a whole lot more comes with it than our oversimplifications. And, and really then it's the second commandment we're talking about, right? I, I was just going to go there because... Um, Many people, um, many Christians, uh, use the name of the Lord very, very lightly and in vain without even thinking about it. And uh, everything that you just said highlights the fact that uh, the second commandment and, uh, you know, you can you can play a lot of games with their numbered in their order of importance. They're all important. But uh, the second commandment, the name of God is way up at the top and we don't treat it that way. And and the definition of it, right, uh, isn't just saying the name Jesus in a wrong way. It has all of the doctrine that we teach in the name of Jesus that is protected by that particular commandment. And we don't emphasize that enough in our world today either. Amen. Amen. Uh, let's move on in verse 1 um, uh, where it says, To the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Um, and, uh, in the, in the Greek, uh, I believe it's a uh, diaspora. Correct. Uh, so, um, either one, we've got two things that we need to talk about. First of all, 12 tribes, because at this point in time, there's really only two tribes. Uh, the other 10, you know, Israel, um, is carried away gone where they have gone i don't know uh they certainly didn't come to america sorry mormons um and the two tribes that we're really basically talking about are judah and benjamin uh and then this whole dispersion or diaspora thing go whichever one you want to attack uh yeah maybe we'll just start with the word diaspora uh which means uh it comes from two greek words dia and spyro um, dia means through or about uh, all, you know, kind of same word diameter, okay, all over the place. Uh, and then spyro is uh, a verb that means to sow, as in a, a sowing seed or planting. And so you have this idea that uh, these particular people have been planted all over the place, spread out all over the world, and they're no longer living um, in their homeland. And of course, I love this word too, because when you plant, when you throw a seed and scatter it about, it uh, takes root and makes its home there. And that's the same thing with all of these folks as well. So they have taken root and made their homes outside their traditional homeland of Israel. They have been pushed out for a variety of reasons, and maybe that's the part that will take a little bit longer we can do after the break. Um, and um, so they have made their homes these places, but yet they're still a part of the larger family. They're still, you know, if you plant corn all over a field, it's all still corn, even though it's not all in the same place growing in that field. Okay. Uh, the 12 tribes thing, when I, when I look at that 12 tribes, I'm just thinking of how uh, the New Testament, especially the Apostle Paul, uh, refers to all Christians as the new Israel. And so when I read 12 tribes, I'm just thinking of the Holy Christian Church. Uh, is that an oversimplification, Pastor? It, it is 
uh, the Holy Christian Church. It does carry more weight with it, um, and um, you know it does goes back to the Old Testament to uh, the the twelve children of Jacob, uh, who became the twelve tribes of Israel, um, who split apart into the two countries, you know, Judah and Israel. Um, but I think we probably do put too much weight on it in some ways, which is how we end up with the error of the Mormons and uh, some of those things that are, you know, you know, Mormonism is a completely um, ahistorical religion. Everything that they believe is made up and stolen uh, from falsehoods. And so, I don't know. That's like I said. That would take a little bit more to talk about, maybe. And you know, there there's possibility for a, a series of programs just on Mormonism and uh, the a hysterical uh, hysterical. It is hysterical. It is hysterical. The a historical nature of that particular religion. Um, but focusing on those twelve tribes, then uh, is James writing to me as a Christian? He's writing to you. Uh, he also is writing in the narrow sense to uh, Hebrew Christians. Uh, and he is writing in a slightly broader but still fairly narrow sense to uh, other Jews all over the world in the hopes that they would become Christian also. Uh, fellow Christians, uh, fellow Jewish converts to Christianity that are facing trials and suffering for the fact that they follow Jesus. Uh, I want, uh, I'm really excited about your uh, expanded comments on the uh, diaspora, the dispersion, and uh, we'll do that right after the break. This is Equipping the Saints. We're looking at the epistle of James. We are at verse one of chapter one. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, we serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship every Sunday at 8 and 10.30 a.m. with Sunday school and Bible study for all ages in between. Wednesday evening worship year-round at 6.30. we're working our way, and uh, there's just so much in uh, verse 1 of James chapter 1. We've talked about who this James is, and more specifically, uh, in our previous episode, episode 44, we uh, did all the introductory stuff of James. Uh, this is episode 45. We're digging into the text. We've talked about the word servant in most of our translations and how that word is slave and what that means for us, how James is a servant slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, how that incorporates everything that Jesus is and has done for us, his life, his death, his resurrection, the uh, delivery of the gifts, justification, sanctification. uh, The whole enchilada, as Brother Kuhlman would say, is wrapped up in that. Um, We uh, talked briefly about uh, the 12 tribes, and uh, in the ESV it says, in the dispersion. The Greek says diaspora. Pastor, what is it? 
Yeah, there's not a real short, simple answer to it, which is why we saved it for this section. Um, but uh, we need to go through, uh, you know, several hundred years, almost a thousand years of history to understand this. Um, it, it all goes back to the uh, kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. Um, of course, Israel fell in the 700s BC and uh, Judah fell in the 500s BC. And at this time, the Israel kingdom, uh, that was conquered by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were not nice people. In fact, they were rule by power sort of people. And so when they came in and invaded, uh, some of the people of Israel escaped uh, and they went down um, into the kingdom of Judah. Judah had bartered a deal with the Assyrians, which kept them from being destroyed. Uh, so some escaped there, uh, but many of them were taken away and really never heard from again. But what happened is they make their homes, they are uh, planted uh, all over the Assyrian Empire at that time. Um, the Assyrians eventually fall, leading to the rise eventually of the Babylonians, who get into a tiff with the, uh, the kingdom of Judah. And so the Babylonians come in, and uh, they conquer Judah multiple times, and Judah always plays nice and then rebels a little bit later. And this leads to uh, another dispersion where uh, People from the kingdom of Judah are brought into Babylon, and they're brought into other places again uh, with this idea of training them to not be uh, uh, Judans anymore, Judeans anymore. And so this is more of the dispersion. This continues then even after that with the Greeks who uh, come in later. And the Greeks conquer the Persians. And again, people are spread all over, both economically, uh, because there's ability to make money by moving, uh, as well as by military force or things like that. I, I want to give, take you, give you a pause here, right there. So what you're telling me here is this diaspora, this dispersion, is not like a one-time event. This is, this is a series of events that happen over hundreds of years. Correct. I, I, really, I really don't think most of the people in the pews have any idea that when they hear that dispersion or diaspora word that uh, we're, we're talking about a multi-century migration or transfer of peoples to different places. Uh, awesome. It, Fantastic. Keep people going. People don't think that way, but think about uh, your own family, right? Or, that, or my own family. That's where I was going. Um, you know, my family came uh, into North Carolina, uh, and now there's descendants from those first people living all over the United States and just economic reasons. Uh, uh, school, school uh, the Civil War. Civil War. Yeah, people I mean, all, all these the things uh, spread people's descendants over the, generations. The, the, the gold rush, uh, retirement, I mean, all kinds of yeah. things. And so... And it's not exactly the same back then, but it's not exactly different either. And so uh, as these different kingdoms and rulers move in and economic opportunities appear and, and change, people do move. And it even continues some uh, after the Greeks. The next people would be um, the, uh, the Romans who do this as well, even to the point uh, before the Romans, uh, you know, one of the centers of Judaism is, uh, 
before the Roman Empire was in Egypt, both at Elephantine Island, which is in the southern part of Egypt, and uh, eventually in Alexandria, which is in the northern part of Egypt. And even in the city of Rome, during the time of the Romans, uh, there was a sizable amount of Jews that were living there, uh, so much so that under the reign of Claudius, um, many of them were kicked out uh, because there was some trouble that was being caused by this, probably as Christians and Jews were in conflict with one another early on in Christianity. So this dispersion over hundreds of years spread people out over most of the known world, and yet they still maintained their Jewish identity, at least their Jewish religion, um, as they're over all these different places. In one sense, that's what the diaspora is. But then we have even narrowing it down a little bit with James here, who is the pastor of Jerusalem. We know that um, beginning uh, only a few years after the resurrection of Christ, already in the 30s, uh, there is persecution of the Christian church, uh, starting, uh, we see mainly, with um, the uh, martyrdom of St. Stephen. After that, Christians began to leave Jerusalem because uh, Christians living in Jerusalem were being persecuted. We see this um, even later on as uh, different persecutions arise, more and more Christians leave the city of Jerusalem, and James is their pastor. And so in that sense, too— And, and as they leave, they take their Christianity with them. Correct. And now James, this pastor, is writing a letter that's going to be circulated around— to these members of his congregation, as well as then by extension, all these um, uh, Jewish thinking people who have spread out over all the world. We have that narrow sense and we have that wider sense, and I think James knows this and is writing to all of them. And then by one more extension, he's writing to us also. Wow. Uh, thank you for that, Pastor. And uh, I knew that question would be uh, right up your historical wheelhouse. So I appreciate You can say that. it. I'm a nerd. Uh, well, you know, we only say that behind your back. Okay. Uh, we rarely say that to your face, uh, but we do occasionally. Uh, and then there's one more word in verse 1, and that is greetings. Is there anything unusual or specific that we need to bring out in that word? Um, no, not really. Um, it is a word that, that is commonly used as a greeting, uh, in even Greek letters that are not Christian, uh, before this time, but Christians do take it, and you have this idea, uh, where it also begins to convey one of its cognates, which is this idea of grace, right? And so, uh, it doesn't just say hello, it also says grace to you, and then, and that's the reason it is in the infinitive form, right? Um, uh, grace to you is, is just kind of built into that in that sense. Okay, so, uh, I know, Paul uses that grace word a lot, uh, becomes kind of a Christian greeting. Uh, many sermons begin, or many pastors begin their sermons, grace and peace from God our Father, you know, something like that. Um, Lenski has this to say, uh, the greeting is kairine, did I say that right? Close enough. Okay. Uh, an imperative infinitive like those that are used in laws and in maxims. This is the common greeting in secular letters. We have another example in Acts 23, 26. It is used in Acts 15, 23 for James, 
perhaps dictated the letter of the conference. This form of greeting is a part of the evidence for the early date of our epistle. A little later, when Paul writes his letters, the Christianized form appears, and the unmodified uh, Kyrene, be joyful or happy, disappears. Your thoughts or comments... Yeah, it turns on, into Kyre or Kyreta. Um, so y- your thoughts or comments on... Uh, you know, there's two or three, you know, kind of points that uh, Lenski makes here. And I was reading from page 522 and 523 of his commentary. Yeah, that, that's it's kind of what I was trying to say is uh, this is the common greeting in Greek letters, which Christians are going to take and slightly modify to bring this idea of grace uh, which is, again, a cognate of that uh, out, because um, if you can take the word hello, uh, which is our greeting, and if you could, uh, you know, if, if, we'd, <laughs> if we were greeting someone who's not a Christian, we said hellbound instead, and we just changed a, a little bit of it, um, that's probably a bad example. But it's the same thing that Christians do, but in a positive way instead of in that negative sense. I was, I was thinking of the word holy day, that uh, Christians have used for centuries, and how now modern people have turned that into holiday and have completely gutted the uh, Christian or the go-to-church nature of a holy day. Is that uh, kind of... Connect, you know, it's would that same, be a fair example? Same kind of thing, and again, it's moving away from the Christian truth, which these guys are going to bring into it. But as Lenski says, this does indicate that it's early because it's before Christians have slightly modified the, the word hello to convey the grace of Jesus Christ that binds them all together. And again, that's really important in us proving that this is written by James and that it is one of the earliest epistles and that James is not in conflict with St. Paul, who's going to come a little bit later. And I thought it was uh, interesting that Lenski brought that up, that this is evidence for the early dating, because earlier on in Lenski, he rejects the early dating, and we talked about that in our previous episode. So at least he's fair with the material and... uh, he is especially fair when he's talking about the um, etymology, for lack of a better word, of the Greek language and uh, how the Greek language is used. Yeah, and we could go down a big rabbit hole with this whole thing, right? Was James originally written in the Greek or was it written in Hebrew? There's a tradition in the church fathers of the Hebrew James um, that is out there too, and so we could... We could get down a big rabbit hole that we don't need to go down with that. Okay. Um, all right. So we have... Which, uh, I was just going to say, <laughs> if there is a Hebrew James, and uh, we have this already early sign in this Greek version of James that is not already changed to the Christianized greeting, it would indicate James, the epistle, the Hebrew version was very, very, very early because um, these things do take time. And uh, that's the position that we took in our previous episode is for the early dating of James for a wide number of reasons. Check that out if you like. Um, we, uh, we finally made it through verse 1, and as we go into our break, I want to uh, get you ready for what we want to talk about in our, um, in our next segment. Starting in verse 2 of James chapter 1. Count it all a joy, my brothers, 
when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's where we're headed, equipping the saints. We'll be right back after the break. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, uh, we are finally joined by Vicar Kirstein, uh, done running his errands for the day. Uh, welcome, Vicar. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, you're not even on. Try that again. Welcome, Vicar. Thank you, Pastor. Oh, yes. Great to see your smiling face. Um, so we have, uh, we have worked our way all the way through James 1, verse 1. And as we get into this uh, final segment, we want to uh, uh, look at least in part on this uh, next little section. And uh, my English translation has a heading saying, uh, the testing of your faith. That may or may not be helpful. The uh, comment that Lenski makes is that he is very direct in his writing. He does not beat around the bush. He doesn't give a lot of flowery speech or anything like that, and that this is a part of the nature of James, and uh, it flows through all five chapters of James. And uh, Lenski says, this directness we consider a part of the character of James. He doesn't give a flowery introduction. He just goes into... Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Uh, yeah, thoughts uh, on that, Pastor? Well, I think it does indicate the character of James, and even um, uh, some of that is seen in the historical accounts of him. Uh, St. Jerome has a, a book called um, The uh, Honorable Men, uh, really is what it translates to, um, the virus illustrabius or something like that uh, is how you'd say it in Latin. And he speaks about James uh, in his directness, but then also his humbleness and his uh, prayer life that he had knees like a camel because he spent so much of his life on his knees praying for his congregation and for his members, which I think, um, you know, We'll see, to, we'll see that throughout this epistle. To pray for your members uh, to the point where your knees become calloused like camels means that you know your members, and when you know your members, you know how to be direct with them because you know the things they're dealing with. Very good. Very good, Pastor. Um, this uh, first or this phrase, verse 2, uh, is, a, uh, is a difficult one. It's a, I'm not talking about the construction of the Greek or anything like that. I'm talking about the content. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Um, how do most people react, Pastor, when uh, they have trials of various kinds? Well, definitely not with joy. Um, <laughs> no kidding. And uh, usually anguish, grief, 
gnashing of teeth, blaming, grudges, bitterness, uh, hatred, uh, retaliation, revenge. How am I doing, Vicar? Pretty good. Okay. Uh, can uh, now? I, now I'm being autobiographical. Oh yeah, and I struggle with this too. I think um, there is every a, Christian does. There is, yeah. And, and even the word that he uses here, right? Uh, Egeomai comes. It's a again a cognate of the the word ago, which means to lead. And it's it's this word that uh, you would use if you are the one leading your soldiers into battle, or if you're the one leading the ships into uh, the battle. And you're up in front. You're the general. You're in charge. You're doing these things. That's the word that's being used here, Egeomai, and. Uh, uh, even that, right, um, isn't quite counted all as joy, but rather it's it's this direct, bold kind of head into it, uh, into this battle with joy. Uh, which again, if you're heading into battle, that's not the the emotion that you're probably feeling. You know, you're not so, glad to be in there doing that. So, as you describe that, Pastor, I'm I'm getting the uh, word picture in my head where you have like a young man from Florida who is um, uh, in the diaspora now living and planted in Nebraska. And it is a uh, negative zero wind chill and uh, maybe a little snow and sleet. And he's got to walk to his car on the other side of the drive or on the other side of the parking lot. And the wind is blowing 30 miles an hour, and he's bundled up, and he's got his head down, and he's kind of bowed over, and he's leaning into the wind, and he's plodding step by step into that gale force wind. That's the picture that comes to my mind. Am I anywhere close? Yeah, as long as you put a smile on his face because he's enjoying it, right? Well, Uh, Vicar is very pious, so I would say he would be uh, at least smiling on the outside. I don't know what he'd be doing on the inside. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. (laughs) As as the icicles form on his uh, red mustache. It, it makes me think, I don't know if you've seen it, right? Um, there's a book, and then it's been made into a movie a couple of times, um, Pollyanna, about the girl whose dad was a pastor who died, and mom also died, and she goes to live with her aunt, who's a stick in the mud, uh, but she changes the lives of all the people around her because she's always playing this glad game, trying to find the best way to describe every single situation. And in a sense, that's kind of what James is saying here, right? We go into these terrible situations, we lead on as Christians into these terrible situations, but we do so with joy. And the reason we have joy, which can't get lost for the rest of this book, is because of what Christ has done for us as Lord and God. He's overcome death in the grave. He's purchased us from the sinful world. And we know that in the end, uh, we'll be raised from the dead and live with God forever in peace and comfort. And so that changes everything, as we've said with James uh, a couple times. Uh Haley Mills is the star of the movie, the old Pollyanna, version. the yeah. old version. Yep. And I just happened to have a VHS copy of that in my office. And but can uh, you watch it with a VHS? <laughs> uh, well, if anybody if anybody has a uh, video cassette recorder that they could watch it, um, I'm happy to loan it because that is the perfect example. That movie and uh, that character in that movie. Have you ever heard of that, Vicar? 
I actually have. Yeah, I, I was going to say, that sounds like a G-rated movie that you would have watched at some point in your life. I think there's a new version, too, that is good also uh, that you can watch on Amazon Prime. So I, I don't pay any attention to that contemporary stuff. Yeah. That, it's the same story <laughs> in both cases. Uh, uh, on page 524, um, Lenski has this to say about uh, verse 2 of James chapter 1. How should the readers consider their many trials? As all joy. They part, uh, the participle states why. Because their faith is thus developed into constancy. That's the word that he uses. Brave perseverance. It grows into strong manhood. It is tested out. The dross is removed. Christians ought to rejoice because of that and not pity themselves or grow sad. Your thoughts on that uh, reference, Pastor? Yeah, I, I think that's the truth. And, and the object of that faith uh, is really important. Like I said before, it's not just faith in itself uh, or faith in its faith. The faith is directed to our Lord Jesus Christ and our God. And in that, then, uh, as we face these testings and these trials of various kinds, uh, we are constant in that faith in Christ because we know what that means for us, what the victory is, and we are able then to let that rule our lives, as we'll see in the rest of the book. The word that is translated various, Pastor, um, James speaks of temptations and shows that these are due to a man's own uh, inward lust. The adjective means very colored or motley. These are trials of various kinds. They are like Joseph's coat of many colors. Um, that caught my eye as I was working through uh, Lenski's commentary. Yeah, the word is poikilos, and uh, Homer does use it as a spotted, a modeled. Uh, uh, he uses it in that sense. Uh, so does Achilles and um, a couple other guys. Um, and so it does have that idea, you know, that what's it going to be? I don't know. There'll be a variety of these trials and difficulties that we're going to face, right? When, And you can see James the pastor here, right? When a member of church comes and says, well, what's tomorrow going to bring, pastor? What's your answer? I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there could be all sorts of things. And, but and God yet, knows. And all but of God these knows. things, uh, our faith in Jesus Christ gives us the strength to face them because we know where we'll be when we die. And this is, I think this is uh, very important for a Christ Christian to grab a hold of because sometimes um, the ups and downs and uncertainties of life can really rock us to the core. They can really shake our faith. You're feeling fine. You're feeling great. And uh, you go in for your annual checkup, and uh, the doctor says, cancer, heart disease, um, you know, uh, some, some other kind of embolism or something that you didn't even know was there. And so you go from a high, high to a low, low, uh, because of a particular diagnosis. Um, when everyone started out the day on nine 11, uh, 20-some years ago, 
Most people were having a good day. And by the end of the day, not only had their lives changed, but the whole world had changed. We don't know. We don't know what's coming. Uh, how can the how can a Christian have joy living in these uncertain times and having uh, this uncertain nature of the world or even our own body as a quoting Pastor Moline present reality? It makes me think of. Um I'm going to draw us to a movie here. I don't know if Vicar's seen it or not. Uh, Forrest Gump, right? Um, when Lieutenant Dan and uh, Forrest are in the shrimp boat um, and the storm is going on, that uh, Lieutenant Dan's up there and he's enjoying it, right? He, he's yelling at God a little bit and saying, you know, hey, is this what you're going to throw it Bring me? it on. Bring it on. Yeah, and uh, whatever Lieutenant Dan's motivations are, I, I couldn't tell you, but in a sense, that's... He's got a who, death wish. That's what we're doing, right? We're, we're facing these challenges, and we're enjoying the challenge that comes about for him because we know what the end is. We're victorious. We have overcome it, and, and I think that's the key. And uh, that's that's the significance of James addressing brothers because uh, brothers in Christ, brothers yeah. in Christ, and sharing in that forgiveness, life, and salvation. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time left here, but uh, uh, LSB 754 is a uh, an amazing Gerhardt hymn. And it has been one that I have leaned on personally and shared with the congregation and others through various trials and difficulties of life. Um, Gerhardt knew trials, and uh, Gerhardt was uh, gifted by God to be able to put these things to music. But I would, uh, I would encourage you to check out hymn 754, Entrust Your Days and Burdens to God's Most Loving Hand. He cares for you while ruling the sky, the sea, the land. For he who guides the tempests along their thunderous ways will find for you a pathway and guide you all your days. And uh, the hymn just gets, every verse you sing, it just gets better and better and better. Uh, we are the redeemed and forgiven children of God. Jesus promises that we are in his hands, the hands of the Heavenly Father, and nothing or no one can snatch us out. We have these promises from God. And as it was a joy for Jesus to go to the cross to pay for our sins, it is a joy for us to live in Christ. Oh, we've got so much more to talk about in James, but we're done. Equipping the Saints, this was episode 45. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again soon. God's blessings. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.